tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Hey, Angie Austin here with the Good News, along with one of my favorites, Arlene Pellicane, author and speaker. And she wants to talk to us about National Marriage Week because you are now a spokeswoman. Is that right? I know. See, I am really, truly your guest. That's really what I am. But then once in a while, I do these other side gigs. But yes, I am a spokesperson for National Marriage Week. It's been amazing. National Marriage Week is February 7th to 14th, the week leading up to Valentine's Day. And kind of think of it like, you know, you have a recycling campaign. You've got an anti-vaping campaign. What about marriage? Like, what about you saying that marriage is worth it, supporting marriages, and then helping the generation that's watching behind us to say, you know, marriage is a good thing. So, so that week is all about. I love it because so many of us don't invest. Like, think about what we invest in, right? Yeah. Like, what did I do last night? Oh, it was like taking kids around to like a private lesson, to a practice, because getting right. thoughtful and yawn for breakfast. Oh, don't even ask no, she, me. No, she does not. I I'm not kidding you this morning. She had filet mignon for breakfast because oh. she's trying. She doesn't like many foods and we're trying to get oh. her to. And she's, I'm sure I would on filet mignon. Oh, my word. That is hysterical. <laughs> so there's a lot of effort being put into our jobs, our right. pets, the new puppies I have, the, the, the kids. But the marriage sometimes gets mm. put on the back burner because we just expect them to keep loving us. It's such a good reminder, right? Because your filet mignon eating daughter will eventually grow up and leave your home. And you know what I mean? And it's like your husband who's like, you haven't fed me in 20 years. I'm teasing. That's not what your husband has said. But just husbands in general are like, you know, we could use some attention to. And the thing is, when we concentrate on our marriages, it's not only good for the husband, right? For the spouse, but it's good for you too, that you get a lot of joy from having a very close relationship. So it's it's a win for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, in most cases, your um, absolute best friend. So let's talk about this. It goes uh, 7th through the 14th. So we've got yeah. Valentine's Day to get this right. So let's talk about some of the secrets of a healthy marriage and date nights, etc. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's do a date night. So every year, National Marriage Week has a different theme. So this year's theme is, Angie, when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the soft little theme, date night. Yeah, go out, whatever. But they've done this research at the National Marriage Project, Brad Wilcox and Jeffrey Dew, and they asked married couples, do you date? And surprisingly, 52% of married couples say they never date or only a few years. That's a pretty high number. Yeah. And 48% say that they date once a month or more. And what they found was if people dated and think of that that's only 12 dates a year that's not that overwhelming so if people made that commitment that we're going to do that what they found was statistically these couples had about a 15 percentage boost in areas like not likely to divorce communicating well 
physically satisfied, overall happy in the marriage, not likely to divorce, all these kind of markers that if they dated even just once a month, they would have a 15% boost in saying, yeah, we're committed to each other. We're not going to divorce, et cetera. So it is kind of amazing how something so small, so to speak, could make such a big difference between, you know, like a so-so marriage and a really good marriage just simply by putting a date night on the calendar. Why? Well, you know, date night is, you know, no distractions that, you know, we're not looking at our phones. This is not a continued business meeting. Like we're actually having fun together and we're actually spending time together. It gives you something to look forward to. You know, you can have a humdrum, you know, like you're you're serving filet mignon in the morning and you've got to do all your driving. But you know, on Friday, you know, your new restaurant that just opened in town or you guys are going to, you know, learn how to square dance or you guys are going to go, you know, rent a boat and go rowing on a little lake by your house. You know, whatever it is that there's something to look forward to. So those are a few things of one of those secrets of a happy marriage, surprisingly, is something as simple as date night. Well, and you know, your husband and my husband, they're known for being a little bit, uh, should we say tight with the purse strings, yes. which I think is the most <laughs> hilarious expression. because My wallet doesn't sweeps have... when it opens. Yes. <laughs> he needs to oil his wallet because it opens so infrequently. <laughs> okay, exactly so right. he considers like Costco with free samples, maybe right. a date night, you know, because sometimes you have to squeeze in whatever you can get or while uh, we're waiting for the kids, you know, for this. a practice, we might um, grab some takeout food or take a nap in the parking lot, you know, or watch, we <laughs> we watch a show in the parking lot. We put the phone like up there on oh the dashboard. Goodness. Well, if you hold hands, maybe, and even kiss a little, that might really count. <laughs> okay. So any other ideas for creative date nights that might you know, be a little more adventurous than mine? No, I love this. And and you don't have to spend a penny with these. So a remember one day, like maybe you live in a house now, you have children, but you had an apartment once in the city or town you live in. Go to that old apartment and sit, you know, and kind of to walk around the, your old block and remember when, or maybe there's a restaurant that you used to go to, or your kids are grown now and you go to the old elementary school and you, you sit and you, you kind of walk around it and you remember when. So I love this idea of reminiscing of where you've been because it gives you this context that there's no one in the world who's been through all these things except that spouse. And so like I remember one day, you can do a bookstore date where you go to a real brick and mortar bookstore and you give your spouse something to read that you find interesting and you want them to read and vice versa. This could be a spiritual book. It could be a business book. It could be fiction. It's something you love and you want them to know it. But, you know, on on your own, you can't just be like, hey, read this book. They're like, no, thank you. But you swap. You both do it and you have veto power. You can say like, this is a very, I don't have no interest in reading this. Go get me another one. And if your spouse is, is a, a gifts person, like their love language is gifts, now you've already also bought them a gift. You've bought them a book. And what I love about this idea is that we get in ruts, right? The same yeah. thing, same conversation, same knowledge, same people, same schedule, same everything. But when you introduce a new book and there's now new ideas that mean something to your spouse that you're learning also. So I love this growth aspect of it. It kind of keeps things from getting boring. So the book date. And of course, you can do something very expensive. Like I talked to my old pastor once and he's like, I took my wife on our 60th anniversary to the Eiffel Tower and we sat inside it and ate. You know, so so once in a while you really save up your money and you have those big moments. But I asked him, do you have anything cheaper than that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Than the and, Eiffel. And he, And then the Eiffel, and he said, you know, it's simply that you thought of the person. And, you know, for him, it was as easy as a phone call to say, I'm thinking of you. He said, it doesn't take money. It just takes thought and putting something like considerate in the calendar. I love it. Um, 
I'm further remember when Channel Two in Denver, where we met, yeah. um, has now been turned into a church. Oh, and how so interesting! In the sanctuary, in the like front right hand corner, is where my weather center used to be. Oh and my And then goodness. we were trying to figure out like um, the makeup room and where that was because it's a whole new you know floor plan. So oh, we wow. kind of wandered around trying to figure out where <clears throat> different things were, where the newsroom was, etc. Because they've done such a beautiful job of turning it into really just a gorgeous church. Oh my so, goodness. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Kind of, yeah. I love that. I, I think that's pretty cool too. All right. How about, um? I know you've got three secrets for a healthy marriage. Yeah. So one of those secrets is date nights, is leverage the power of date night, schedule the date night. The second secret is commit to growth, that you're not going to live the same year of marriage 50 years in a row, but that you're going to be, you'll still be curious about each other. You'll still grow. Like maybe this looks like a marriage conference that you attend every oh. three years or a marriage podcast that you like. You know, I have the Happy Home Podcast. There's several podcasts that there's a podcast if you listen either regularly together to the same podcast or you like something, a certain episode, and you share it with your spouse or you pick up a book every year, a marriage book every year to grow in your marriage. So just commit to growing and don't be afraid of the different seasons, right? With the empty nest stage, the retirement stage, all the different stages. Just see it as a new way to fall in love with your spouse again and and learn about it. So commit yourself to grow that, hey, through all these different seasons, we're going to grow, change, grow closer to each other, and we're going to keep dating each other. And then that third secret is Dr. Gary Chapman's is the five love languages. And on marriageweek.org, there are all these resources, including a couple's connection plan. And in this couple's connection plan, you'll have a kind of a refresher on how to speak the five love languages to each other. I think most of us know about the five love languages, yeah. but are we speaking them? Right. Do we actually use them? So this is a reminder that, okay, my husband is acts of service. I am words. So he's done a really good job. He emailed me yesterday, like a really sweet, like really sweet love. I love you kind of thing. So he's learned like he's doing it. So not just knowing it, but really, really do it. So speak your spouse's love language. That's that third key. You know, my husband said the other day, because I always tell his parents too, and sometimes I copy him as well, because we text <laughs> back and forth and I'll be like, oh my gosh, like your son has the greatest work ethic. I cannot believe, you know, how well he takes care of us. And he did this project this weekend and yeah. took the kids here and he's built this business and, you know, kind of always like, and then he brought up like um, this, <clears throat> another couple in our family that she puts him down a lot. He goes, you know how you always build me up? And that's the first yeah. time in 20 years, like he said it, like he acknowledges, he knows how much I compliment him him and admire him and yeah. think he's great. And so um, that is something I guess he really appreciates that I didn't even know. Now, I want to yeah. ask, because we've got about three or four minutes left, how has technology impacted marriages? I know it's impacted families, but specifically marriages, because yeah. I had a friend that said his wife was having an affair with her iPhone and her iPad. <laughs> yes, right. You know what? And it's like, it's so interesting, too, because we think, well, that's better than the other kind of affair. However, we also have to think of it's so acceptable, you know, yeah. to be just like, hey, I'm tuning out. I'm just going to watch my favorite show or it looks like I'm busy. It looks legitimate. I'm just answering emails, even though it's 11 o'clock at night, you know. So I think this is a huge thing. And even talking to younger couples that they are telling me it's a big distraction for us. Like, I feel like I cannot get my spouse's attention because they are looking at their phone, they're checking Instagram, they're watching sports, they're 
they're doing something on the device. So I think it's really a clear and present danger that most of us don't recognize that we just figure, ah, this is the way it is in the 21st century. So I think we really need to be courageous and ask our spouse, hey, am I on my phone too much? Or like, do you ever feel like you're competing for my attention with my device and just listen, right? And just listen. And I know we want to defend ourselves and give the explanation of they do it too and all this, but just listen and be like, okay, thanks for telling me that. And if you need some time to digest that and then think, how can I, how can I do better in this area? So this looks like a screen-free meal time. Like don't have your phone out during meals. Don't have your phone out during date night. Think it's like a hot potato. Take your picture of what you're doing and then shove it in your purse, shove it in your pocket and do not touch it. You know, unless the babysitter calls, that's it. You know, so really be intentional about times where you are not touching the phone. I would suggest first thing in the morning, last thing at night, like go to bed. Good night, honey. Your spouse, not like, eh, and you're looking at your device, you know? So really make a point of it, of ask your spouse, am I on my device too much? And think of ways to guard your time. So you really do have time uninterrupted with your spouse. Cause it's so easy to be like, I don't want to have that hard talk with my spouse. So yeah. I'm just to pretend to be busy on my phone. You know, or, it's funny yeah. that you say this because last night um, I, I, I'm re-watching some of the old Office episodes and I was laughing out loud at something that Michael Scott said or did or whatever. Right. And so like I, um, tr- my husband was watching probably sports. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. And then I like was going to repeat, you know, what it was. It made me laugh. Like right. I couldn't stop laughing. It was so ridiculous. And, and then finally he pushes like pause and he's like, yes. Like, it, you know, I could tell he was watching something and he was irritated that I right. wanted to tell him a story about something funny. And I was like, wow, I thought he would kind of catch himself and go, oh, well, that was really rude. And I said, oh, never mind. And he was like, fine with it. He was like, OK, never mind. And, you know, we get along pretty well. We are best friends. Totally. But- after he's done with like a 10 hour work day, I think he just likes that like zone out time. Yeah. And then I went to sleep, you know, so I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I'll probably ask him tonight, like, hey, do you mind if we maybe like uh, want to say something to each other? We could maybe yeah. like take our eyes off the of technology for a few minutes. So yeah, we could laugh about something or whatever. Yeah, I want to make sure that people know how to get involved in National Marriage Week. We've got Valentine's Day coming up and I don't like to book things right on Valentine's Day. I'll probably do Sunday, uh, which I think is the 12th or yeah. even the 13th just because it's so crowded on Valentine's Day and that's when like the couples fall totally. in love like to have their dinners <laughs> right so true so uh where do we go for more info yeah you can go to marriageweek.org marriageweek.org and look to get that free couples connection plan and there's also a national calendar where if your church is hosting a marriage event and you want to post it there you could and then it's a place where you can look like in your city is there something nearby that you want to go to or maybe a vacation destination you want to go to so there's a national calendar of marriage events awesome thank you Arlene happy thank national you, marriage week thank you so much for having me is listening to the mighty 670 klt denver arc thrift needs your small furniture and electronics donations now you can donate that end table or folding chair you've been meaning to find a new home for smaller sized furniture that can fit in your trunk and home goods like blenders and air fryers are items that arc badly needs right now they make it easy by unloading your car and your donations help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities the primary mission of arc thrift ARC has high demand for small electronics like speakers, soundbars, Bluetooth speakers, and turntables. And once you donate, you can shop in the stores for your own treasured finds. 
Each ARC thrift location has over 5,000 new items every day. So there is always something new and exciting. Every ARC thrift store keeps their shelves fresh with new merchandise, so each new purchase will be special to you. ARC's donation centers are open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Sunday donation hours are available as well. To find the nearest ARC Thrift Donation Center, go to arcthrift.com slash donations. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Today we are talking about artificial intelligence, or AI, and we're learning about how AI-driven solutions are helping racial conflict. Joining us is Mark Eckhart. He is the CEO of Common, and we are talking about One Million Truths, or OMT, a science-based initiative dedicated to building solutions to resolve racial conflict by leveraging the power of AI artificial intelligence. Well, this is quite interesting. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So uh, just kind of give us an overview of the topic today and what is One Million Truths. Well, as you began to share, One Million Truths is indeed a science-based initiative that's dedicated to racial healing and reconciliation. And our mission is to transform the way we think about and respond to racial conflict in our lives, in our communities, and throughout the country by indeed leveraging the power of artificial intelligence. All right, so in terms of the power of AI addressing the underlying issues of racism, how does it work? Can you give us some examples? Sure. First and foremost, I I think it's important to share that for me, it's about human beings in relationship with AI. It's about human beings stewarding artificial intelligence ethically. And what it enables us to do is it enables us to analyze our collective experience. Our sense-making capability needs to increase significantly in order for us to address conflict across racial and ethnic lines at enough scale to really be effective. But at the same time, it's going to identify opportunities to do things differently. It's going to identify things that are working that can be replicated, and it's going to identify behaviors and thoughts and attitudes that are prohibiting progress. So there's so much that we can do using AI in ways that are gonna be really, really personal. So we'll be able to take people through an experience that's specific to them and meets them where they are at and takes them through a journey of growth and development. We talked about identifying what's working and what isn't. Uh, can you give us some examples of what is working to address racial conflict? A- absolutely. I think the fact that more people are engaged right now in the conversation is an example of what's working. I know that from government to bridge building organizations across the country, more and more people are responding the call to address intolerance and to address division and polarization. And that's really, really good. One thing that we found interesting in our work is that soon after inviting people to share and record their stories, their truths and their experiences, we began to detect um, consistencies in the challenges that they were sharing. For example, we spoke to dozens and dozens of young people who are very active in the bridge building community. And they were very tired, they were exhausted, and many of them were struggling financially. And we identified that as a challenge. We heard from the CEO of a major media corporation who interrupted the conversation and said, hey, look, you know, a lot of people raised their hands, thousands of people raised their hands during the protest, but none of us have the solutions. 
We thought we did, but we don't. We need to do more work. And so those consistencies prompted us to do three years of research. So I've been collaborating with scientists and technologists and peace builders and designers around the world. We did a series of formal studies, and that led us to the combination and the potential of understanding intractable conflict and coupling that with the power representative in, uh, represented in, in AI and artificial intelligence. I'm going to backtrack a little bit because we mentioned your company, Common. Uh, tell us about your company, would you? Sure. Common was founded in 2010, so 2010, and we founded the business specifically to help people design solutions to the world's most challenging problems. Oh, cool. Over the years, we've worked with people in 38 different industries, 27 different countries, and um, help them generate a measurable impact socially, environmentally, and we help folks generate about $100 billion in organizational value, too. Anything else cool that you do that you think we'd get a kick out of hearing about? <laughs> Absolutely. So I've over the years, I've worked in a one-on-one -on -one capacity with presidential candidates. I've worked with top economists in the world, really talented, young, and up-and-coming entrepreneurs. And we've just helped them navigate really critical and interesting moments in their work and in their careers and in their businesses. And so that's put me at the intersection of climate change and biodiversity, for example, and human migration and macroeconomics and conflict and peace building. So I've been exposed to a lot and I've been asked to help people design solutions to problems that affect every one of us throughout the country. Wow. You don't have a boring job, that's for sure. Fun. I'll, really bet. Fun. I'll bet. All right. Yeah, I was talking to my nephew the other day. I was visiting him in Los Angeles, and he just got a new job. He's a couple years out of school, and uh, he wants to go back and his, get his master's. I said, what do you think of the job? He goes, uh, I don't really like the people. Like, it's boring. My last job, there were people my age, and it was more fun because of the people. And he, he works with about five yeah. people, really long shifts. And he said, but you know what, Andy, Angie? He said, I don't I don't, I don't, think work's necessarily supposed to be enjoyable. Like, I, I just think, you know, maybe you just work for a paycheck. And I was like, oh, I said, you've got a long haul in front of you if that's all you see it as because you're only in your 20s. So it's uh, fun to talk to people <laughs> who really, you know, get a kick out of what they do. All right. So um, one more thing. What made you just decide to start this particular project and, you know, leverage AI in order to help resolve racial conflict? One Million Troops is really a reflection of my personal story. If I go back to the beginning, conflict was determining the trajectory of my life while I was in my mother's womb. And you wouldn't know it by looking at me or from looking at me, but I'm half Italian. And when my birth mother became pregnant, she realized that her family and close community would reject her for having a child of mixed race. So she gave me up for adoption. If I fast forward to the time and the moment that I created One Million Troops, I was just at a place where I, you know, I had run out of ways to process the string of people who were rolling down the window in their cars and yelling at me. And I didn't know what to do with a stranger who threatened me physically. And I was really kind of at a loss for how to respond and react to private security personnel who kept repeatedly approaching me as I was parked alongside the curb in my car, hmm. taking business calls, only to report that they had received a number of calls about my presence. And so I, I felt very angry at that point in time. Mm -hmm. I felt alone and I felt inadequate. But the thing that kind of, you know, just broke it open for me was just starting to tell my truth. And when I experienced the reaction from doing so, and we got to the point where it was the middle of the second night of the Floyd protests, the idea came to me and I committed to it 100%. 
So how did you get a passion, obviously, for this particular project? How did you get the passion to, um, you know, to work with and start Common? I led the strategic process that resulted in Common. And so it was good fortune at the time. Believe it or not, I was doing something completely different. And I just happened to meet my co-founders. And they come from the highest ranks of marketing, design, advertising, and communication. And I was so inspired and stimulated by their thinking and their creativity and the things that they were building and doing that I just committed. And I just ultimately, and in, in, in through good fortune, ended up being a co-founder and, and the CEO. And it's been an amazing ride. And then again, with One Million Proofs, it was, okay, I'm having a hard time here. I'm getting a really wonderful response, a very loving response to being honest. Can I bring to bear all of the capabilities that I have, you know, through common to this issue? Can I do it constructively? Can I do it in a positive way? While at the same time, being rigorous around telling the truth Mm -hmm. and getting work done. Okay, I'm dying to know because my husband's from um, a half Italian family and I uh, there's a an interesting twist there too, but I'm dying to know did you ever meet your Italian um, birth mother? I did not. Unfortunately, because of the circumstances around her choice, she was not open to meeting me. I found her. She grew up and lived in the South Bronx her entire life. I have a lot of information about her. I know about my brothers. I have two older brothers that were born from her. Um, but she was not open to meeting me, unfortunately. You know, I am um, my so in, in our family it was uh, an Italian and uh, a Polish wife, an Italian cop and a Polish wife. And uh, obviously not quite the same circumstances. But what's interesting is after he was killed in the line of duty, uh, they moved her out of their place into like more of like a basement apartment with a, with the, with the kids. And she became the laundress. She did laundry um, for the entire Italian family. So that shows me how they show, they saw people that were not even the same religion or background who were still Caucasians as someone that they did not deem as part of their tribe. So I can see why you're birth mother wanted to protect you from that kind of situation that um, that our, you know, Polish sweetheart grandma ended up in. So it's just an interesting thing, culture, etc. So I'm fascinated by this whole topic. I appreciate um, you sharing all of this with us. And uh, where do we go to get more info? Your listeners and your community and friends can go to one million truths.com. So those words are spelled out, spelled out one million in truths with an S. And there they can learn more about our initiative. They can record and upload their stories and truths and be part of this work and part of this database that we're going to use to identify new ways to create reconciliation and harmony in, in our communities and neighborhoods. Well, Mark, I'm telling you something. If she would have had the privilege of meeting you, I'm absolutely 100% sure she would have been extremely proud. You've really done some great things. So thanks for joining us on The Good News. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for that. That's wonderful. I I appreciate being on the show. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks, Mark. You too. Be well. Well, that was certainly interesting uh, speaking with Mark. I love hearing about people's passion and how they develop passion. And after talking to my nephew and him telling me that he didn't think people really, you know, liked or whatever had to enjoy their work that it was just a paycheck that kind of bummed me out i said well what do you have a passion for what do you want to do and he said i'd like to be a professional mattress tester 
like, you know, so you could nap a lot. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I came up with, you know, um, how to find your passion, how to be passionate, because I think, you know, I was really going after my career in my 20s and 30s, even 40s. But, you know, then you kind of like uh, take a turn and I'm raising kids, but they'll be out of the house in like three years. So, so, you know, what's next? And so here's just some ideas. Create a list of interests, you know, um, you know, like the books you read and you don't get bored. Um, do you like to travel? Like, do you like to work with animals? Uh, and think about where you spend your time and your money. You know, like I just mentioned traveling and pets. Like, that's where I spend a lot of my time and money. And maybe, like, some people are like foodies. They really enjoy good restaurants. Um, I, I'm real frugal on things that aren't a big deal to me, but I will definitely invest in the kids, the kids' sports, um, things they need, good equipment, and then, of course, our trips, like experiences we have together as a family. Um, number three, learn about your passion. Once you've created a list of what interests you and your habitual behaviors, uh, send feedback and insight from others. Like, check with other people. Like, my, my daughter has a gift with children and with animals, and so I would tell her, you know, these are some things you may want to do. And she's strong, and she likes helping people, so she's thinking about maybe a fire, becoming a firefighter. And also, think about taking Taking risks, especially if the financial aspect isn't the goal anymore, like you're not worried about making the you know millions of dollars, you just really want to enjoy your life, and then set goals and strive for them, and integrate your passion into your life. So I don't know, these are just things to help you maybe find your passion for life. And I just want to say um, I really enjoy doing this show. Thank you so much for listening to the good news, and hopefully you keep joining us. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT.